So this morning, it really is a special Sunday for us as believers. It's, um, it's Palm Sunday, which I referenced earlier, which marks the start of what's called Holy Week or Passion Week as we, as we know it. Um, this is the week that honors the events that happened in Jesus' life uh, leading up to and culminating on the Passover weekend, right? His death, burial, and resurrection on Sunday. Of course, those are the two main events. And churches all over the world gather today to celebrate Palm Sunday, this, this milestone moment in our faith where the Lord Jesus enters into Jerusalem, God's chosen city. And, and you know, as we know in the scriptures, which we're going to look at just now, people cut palm branches and they laid them on the ground. They laid their cloaks on the ground to welcome the Messiah in. And kind of similar to the Advent series that we did over December uh, that looks towards Christ's birth, uh, the Palm Sunday service also has sort of the traditional scriptures that are read uh, during this time. And I think there's something quite beautiful about this unity that's in the churches globally, uh, all kind of meditating and reading on the, sh- on, on the same passages of, of, of scripture as we celebrate this, this really remarkable moment. So, well, we, we're going to read Matthew 21 verses 1 to 11 together. This is the passage that details this, this really significant uh, moment in church history, uh, if, you, if you will. And uh, it's from yeah, Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. It's, it's called the, the triumphal entry. In some of your Bibles, you'll see the little heading there. It says the triumphal entry. Uh, this is the account of when Jesus comes into Jerusalem the week before he's crucified. It says, when they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples telling them, go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything, you say that the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. You know, I've often tried to take this verse out of context. And if someone asks me why I'm doing something, I say, that no, the Lord needs it. You know, let's point to a building. Can we have that building, please? Why? No, the Lord needs it. Anyway, it doesn't really work, but it worked in this instance. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went ahead and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and when they had laid their clothes on them, uh, he sat on them. A very large crowd uh, spread their clothes on the road. Just picture the scene for a moment. Jesus coming into the town and this massive crowd of people, around about 160,000 people roughly, used to to flock to Jerusalem during this time of year to celebrate Passover. So it's it's a pretty big group of people, right? They, they, they lay their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them, kind of this like welcoming procession of the king, right? Then the crowds who went ahead of them and those who followed behind shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And then when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in uproar, saying, who is this? What on earth is going on? Who is this person that everyone's you know, welcoming in that this huge thing is about. The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. You know, there's, there's a lot of symbolism and significance uh, to this day, as you can imagine. There was Jesus entering into the city that was intended to, to carry God's name. This was his chosen city to dwell amongst his people. And the people at the time were under this Roman oppression, right? These were the guys that were really making their lives difficult, to put it plainly. And so these, these, these people are awaiting the Savior. You would liberate them from this oppression. And, and here is the moment. And you can almost kind of sense that, that with every step that Jesus took, you can just hear the words of these prophets being fulfilled. 
you can kind of get the sense that there's this climactic moment where here he is, here is our redeemer. It really is incredible. In fact, Jesus says that if these people didn't cry out, the very rocks themselves would cry out. Such is the, is the weight and the significance to what is happening in this story. Um, so the, the people welcomed, welcoming, welcomed him in with joy and gladness, yet the, the shocking backdrop of the story is that in a few days' time, those same shouts of joy would turn into shouts of accusation, rage. The same people that were saying, Hosanna in the highest would shout, crucify him, crucify him. What an incredible thought. This, this moment of, of great joy and gladness, but also tribulation and, and spiritual tension. There's this, this build up of all of these things happening in this moment. You can see how already there's so much to take from the story. And also what happened in Jesus' life after this moment. He did some really remarkable things and he made some really incredible teaching. Some of us might remember the parables. Parable of the talents. This comes after his entrance into Jerusalem. Parable of the ten virgins. Five that were ready, five that weren't. This, this parable of the vineyard owner that sent workers, right, servants, and the people that were there beat them up. And then he said, well, surely if I send my son, they'll listen to him. And that obviously marks what is happening here, God sending his son to his people. Yet they were also not, not willing to accept. And there's so much that happens during this week. And then, then we get to the story, which is the first thing actually that Jesus did when he comes into Jerusalem. Anyone know what he, what he did? What's the first thing that he did? Apart from all the teachings and these parables. He goes into the temple and what happens? He cleanses it, turns over the tables. You know, that picture of angry Jesus that you've probably seen on a cartoon somewhere, flipping the tables and chasing people out. It's been used in all kinds of incorrect ways over the years to, to validate a whole bunch of different opinions. But there are some lessons from this particular story in Scripture that I want to draw from and, and leave us with today as we commemorate and think about Palm Sunday and just unpack this one key idea. What about... What about this temple cleansing is Jesus trying to show us today in light of his desire to take up residency in our hearts? What is he trying to show us? What, what, is, the, what is the story of the temple cleansing have to do with, with this truth that Jesus wants to take up residency? He wants, to, he wants to dwell in you and me today. So are you ready to do just a little bit of uh, cross-referencing in scripture with me? A little bit of a journey, as, as Damien mentioned last week, we're going to go on a little bit of a journey and uh, a little bit of intertext duality. Oh, that's a Christianese word for the day. You can say, I learned intertext duality at church when you go and tell your friends later. But what that basically means is just a, a biblical um, interpretation idea, which says that, you know, when Jesus says something in the New Testament, he's, he's usually alluding to other things in the Bible. So he'll often say something, he'll, he'll, he'll quote something, and it, it very often is another part of Scripture or another lesson or a teaching or something else that's contained in the Bible. So it really is important to know the, this backdrop, right, to why Jesus says the things that he does when he comes into the temple and does this whole cleansing thing. So I'm going to jump a, around a little bit. So uh, Renal Production guys, you might just have to follow me here. But the first one is Matthew 21. 12 to 14, right? So he, he comes into Jerusalem, he goes straight to the temple, and this is what happens. Jesus went into the temple and throughout, can everyone say throughout? Throughout, all those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. I mean, it's, it's quite, a, quite a radical thing to do, right? <laughs> like, you've just been welcomed in as king, now I'm gonna go and mess things up. 
just, it's, quite a, it's quite a crazy uh, conundrum, if you want to call it that. He said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer. Okay, pause. So you know in the Bible where you see that little letter in the brackets after a verse, right? That means that it's referencing another verse in Scripture. It means that it's a quote from somewhere else. So when Jesus says, my house will be called a house of prayer, he is quoting from Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7. And it's important that we understand this, con- this, this verse in the context of what he's doing here. And this is what Isaiah 56 says. As for the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to become his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold firmly to my covenant, I will bring them to my holy mountain and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, their sacrifices, their, their praise, their worship will be acceptable on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. That's what he's saying. He's saying my design for the temple is that it would be a place of worship, a place of prayer for everyone. Right, my house of prayer. Then go back to Matthew. He says, um, but you have made it a den of thieves. Again, little asterisk or letter in brackets. What's Jesus referring to? He's, re- he's referring to a passage in Jeremiah. Okay, so let's go and read Jeremiah quickly. We're doing a bit of a detour here, but it's going to make sense in then, I promise. Jeremiah 7 verses 1 to 11 says this. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the house of the Lord and there call out this word. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who enter through these gates to worship. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says. Correct your ways and your actions and I will allow you to live in this place. Do not trust deceitful words chanting, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Instead, if you really correct your ways and your actions, if you act justly towards one another, if you no longer oppress the resident alien, the foreigner that we just read about, uh, the fatherless and the widow, and no longer shed innocent blood in this place or follow other gods, bringing harm on yourselves, I will allow you to live in this place. The land I give, I, I gave to your ancestors long ago and forever. But look, you keep trusting in deceitful words that cannot help. Do not steal, or do you steal rather? Murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incest upon all these incorrect things and follow other gods that you have not known. Then do you come and stand before me in this house that bears my name and say, we are rescued <laughs> so we can continue doing all these detestable acts. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers in your view? Yes, I too have seen it. This is the Lord's declaration. So this is what Jesus is saying. My house, my church, my temple is intended to be a house of prayer, an encounter for all nations. But you have made it about yourself by robbing people of the presence of God when they come to church. You see that? He's saying God's intended design is for all nations to be welcomed in here, to worship here. But because of all these other things that are happening Because of the incorrect order of things, it's now become this place where people are robbed of the presence of God. So it's not not to do with, you know, selling things in a church like we have a Seattle coffee shop in North End. That's not the context of this verse. Jesus is talking about about proper worship. He's talking about how you should be when you come to worship him in his temple. Does that make sense? So he carries on in Matthew chapter uh, 21 in verse 14. So he's just, he set the record straight, Right. He said, this is my design. The blind and the lame came, in, came to him in the temple and he healed them. I love that. I love that. It's, this place is a place of encounter. 
people should not be robbed of the presence of God here. He sets the record straight and he kind of proves this. Or the evidence of this is literally the next verse, he heals people. Miracles take place. See, when things are done in the proper order, spiritually, you set yourself up for a miracle. And this is what Jesus is trying to, is trying to say. Uh, in verse 16, the, <laughs> this is just amazing. The chief priests, you know, the guys that are um, in the know, the people that look like they have everything together, the, the, the religious leaders, they say to him, do you hear what these children are saying? These children are worshiping Jesus. It's kind of like, who the heck do you think you are, Jesus? You know, what these guys are saying. How can you heal people in the temple claiming that you're the son of God? <laughs> I mean, just, it, it just blows your mind. You see how blind a religious spirit can make you. Jesus replied, yes, yes, actually, yes. I do hear what they're saying. <laughs> have you never read, you have prepared praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babies? Another quote from the Old Testament, that's from Psalm 82. Uh, then he left them and went out to Bethany and he spent the night there. It's a lot of scripture, but you can clearly see what this temple cleansing is all about. It was about Jesus, the creator of the temple, coming back into Jerusalem as the owner of the temple, getting rid of things that shouldn't be there, correcting the ways of worship, setting the record straight and taking up residency in the temple as the better temple himself. And that's the picture for you and me today because we know, right, that when Christ was raised to life on Sunday, the veil was torn. That's how the temple was structured. There was this outer court, inner court, and a holy place and the holy of holies. And we know that only the high priest could go in there, right, once a year. Scripture says that that veil was torn. It's like the presence of God is now no longer confined to one area. It's leaked out into all people that would call on his name. And then, you know, God is saying, this is my design. This is, this is the whole point is Jesus is wanting to take up residence in you. You are now the temple. You are now the, per, the, the person, the place that carries God's presence. 1 Corinthians 6 verses 19 is very clear. It says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? There it is. Whom you have from God, you are not your own. Jesus is saying, guys, I have purchased you. I came in to show you that you are mine. He, 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 he bought us with a price, for you were bought at a price, verse 20. So glorify God with your body. And you see, this is where the temple cleansing has relevance, relevance for us today. What, what, what does Jesus intend to do? What, is it, what does it look like when he takes up residency in your life? What is the evidence of that? What does it mean for Jesus, the better temple, to be the owner of you, the temple of the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to share a little story about relationships, right, to, to kind of help, help us paint this picture a little bit um, and help us just kind of order things correctly when it comes to understanding this idea. So quick little poll to help me, to help me start, um, help me get us going. Uh, who here is single at the moment? Single people? Okay. Couple? Your? I don't know what the yours mean, but I see you. Uh, who here is in a relationship? In a Relationship? Relationship? Uh, who here is married? So keep the hands up. Oh, wow. Overwhelming majority of people. Uh, who here wishes they weren't? Don't put your hand up. Don't put your hand up. It was a trick. There will be prayer afterwards, but don't put your hand up. So I, I kind of guess this, this analogy will make sense to most of us, but 
You you may know that my wife, Kelly, right, who I am in a relationship with, married now for nine years. She's a very talented fashion designer. She makes clothes, wedding dresses, matric dance dresses, and all the rest of it, menswear and all kinds of things. Um, And you know what it's like when you round about the two-year mark in your relationship, okay? What happens in that in that zone? You have that refrigerator privilege phase. You know what I'm talking about? The first two years, it's, oh, you know, Lloyd, would you mind if I had something out the fridge? Could you give me something to eat or drink? Two-year mark, I go to the fridge myself and I open the door, right? It's that moment where you kind of feel that confidence and you know yourself and you can make yourself at home and that's usually also where that conversation comes up. You know the conversation I'm talking about. I, I, I shared the fact that, that Kelly is a, is a talented fashion designer to make the uh, case even more true. But it's a conversation that goes something along the lines of, you know what, Lloyd, um, I've been thinking. Uh, that pair of shoes that you have in your cupboard, you know, those, uh, those white square toe slip-ons, that you love wearing so much. Come on, anyone else have white square toe slip-ons when they grow up? Come on, am I the only person? Thank you. Thank you. There was a season in life when those were cool, okay? You wore those pinstripe pants and a collared shirt and you were like, legit. But she goes, you know what? Um, I've been thinking about these shoes and uh, seeing as though I'm, you know, here and kind of here to stay, we might need to make a change about those shoes. Yeah, I'm going to the refrigerator, I'm helping myself, we're comfortable, we understand one another. So, um, yeah, they're, they're going to they're actually go. And, uh, and, 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 and not just the shoes, but a couple of other things also. And what begins to happen is much like, you know, that, that process that you see on, on, on National Geographic when that, when that female sparrow, you know, goes to the nest that the husband's built and she hates it, she just starts ripping things out. All the sticks, all the things just go flying out of the cupboard. And you're kind of standing there as the man, you know, like with your pride just in absolute shatters, watching this aggressive process of cleansing taking place. Anyone else can relate to that? Is there, uh, there we go, John, I see that hand. That's a double hand there. You know what I'm saying? It's like she's going, look, uh, if I'm going to be with this oak, then, then things have to change. <laughs> I, I intend to be, be around public places with him and... Uh, yeah, no, he can't, he can't walk around looking, looking, looking like that. There's this mass clean-out that takes place. And, you know, the truth is, I can, I can fight it. I can, I can fight Kelly. I can say, but white square toe slip-ons, those are the most amazing shoes ever. They look so cool. They, I feel like, you know, a boss model when I wear them. I can, I can make all these excuses, try and justify why I'm keeping these things in my closet, but I'll never experience proper peace in my relationship with Kelly if I keep on resisting this change that she wants to make. She, you know, she's the expert when it comes to what's tasteful and what's not. And, and, and you know, she, she, she knows what makes me look presentable and what doesn't. And if you think about that, the story of Palm Sunday and Jesus entering the holy city to cleanse it is the same thing. You know, he intends to be in a long-term relationship with you. He, he, he intends to, to be with you, to guide you places, to walk with you. And he knows what looks best on you. He knows what suits you well. And so when Jesus comes into the temple, he begins to reorder things. He begins to throw some things away. And if we're honest, you know, you could say that you can tell when Jesus is residing in someone's life because there's been a rearrangement of things. 
there's been a reordering of priority. You can tell if Jesus has taken up residence in someone's life, someone's temple, because if he has, there's been a rearrangement of the furniture of some kind. There's been a cleansing of the old clothing of some kind. the, The evidence of his residence is that some things have changed. And by the way, you know, you might not like the new arrangement initially. I mean, I went into my cupboard after this mass, you know, sort of destruction and, and, and casting away. And I was like, I have nothing left. You know, where's all my clothing? Like, what's going on here? All my favorite things that I grew up and was wearing for, you know, 15 years are gone. You know, all those old things that I was comfortable with, that I thought make, made me look good, are gone. No more cheap rugby shorts that have 15 holes in them. But those are my comfortable. I'm not going to go to the shop with you. So it's either me or the pants, basically, what Kelly was saying. Jesus, where's that comfort thing that I had, my comfort pair of clothing, that, that anger that I used to resort to? Where's that gone? Can't find it. Jesus, where's, my, where's that bad language? Where's my... I don't seem to have the desire for that anymore. He's cleansed it out. He's taken it out. What about the pride thing? What about the addiction, the lust, the jealousy, the emotional reactions? See, friends, Jesus has come in and he started chucking those things out. He started cleansing. Because guess what? He's the owner. He's the owner. So the key question is this morning, has Jesus rearranged some things in your life? Has he rearranged the furniture? Has he stepped in there and done his thing. And there's a, there's, a, there's a very big difference, by the way, between Jesus being the owner and Jesus being the life coach. <laughs> you know, Kelly didn't come in there as a fashion consultant, you know, to kind of just back me up and I'll call her every now and then. Hey, you know, I'm just thinking of getting this new thing. Can I get your advice? You know, is this going to be cool? And it's like Jesus, like, you know, I'm kind of just working on my gifts. Can you just kind of come alongside me? It's still my career, you know, still my decision, still my appearance. But you know, I'm still going to call him every now and then, you know, come and help me, come and validate my own opinions, no matter how true or incorrect they are. And Jesus is not that. Jesus is the owner. <laughs> if he's your life coach, then he's not your king. That's the story of Palm Sunday. And you could say that if he's not Lord of all, then he's not really Lord at all. It's the difference. You see the significance? <laughs> Jesus, I'm welcoming you in but just stand next to me as my life coach. No, no, no. He's the owner. The temple cleansing is about a return to ownership. And when Jesus takes up residence as Lord of all, he wants to put things in their perfect design because he knows what suits you best. So what is that all about? What is the, what is the evidence of Jesus taking up residence? Well, three things. Three things that this moment represents. Three things that you can say the ownership of Jesus is all about. Uh, this is where it gets practical, where we can see this, this, this beauty of the, of, the, of the scriptures we read on Palm Sunday coming, coming to fruition. Firstly, there's a return to encounter. When Jesus takes up residence, when he is the owner of the temple, there is a return to encounter. That's what it's about. You know, your life takes on true significance and purpose when there's the sense of continued encounter with God. Otherwise, you just end up chasing and, and following this never-ending pursuit that will never truly satisfy you. 
That's why it's important that we, that we, that we get this revelation today and say that when Christ comes in, we, we are making space for him. It's our vision for the year, right? Host people, host God. We need to make space for God so that he can, he can, he can bring the necessary changes to bring the best out of us. You've, you've got to allow the owner of the temple to have center stage. You've got to allow the owner. You know, that's the reason why Jesus said that, 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 that the people have made his house a den of robbers is because they were robbing people of the presence of God. Selling doves and exchanging coins in the place where people were supposed to be praying. It's like sometimes you and I make the temple, this place that we go to worship, the place that was all about God, all about us. And we do everything else except ministering to the Lord. <laughs> you know, that translates to us today like we make our lives about our priorities. And we exchange encounter with God for activities without God. All these things, this, 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 this stuff that happens in the place that God is really calling us to just, to just encounter him. You know, there's a lot of religious observation sometimes that happens, but it's not always God's design. It doesn't look good on us. It's like, Lloyd, you're wearing the white square toes, man. Not now. Not now. That doesn't look good on you when you're in this place of worship. It's about a return to encounter. It's about getting rid of those things that prevent us from experiencing his presence. You know, if, if, you, if you think about prayer, that's ultimately what prayer is, isn't it? Prayer is about encounter. Prayer is about encountering God. And Jesus is saying this, 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 this place, this temple, my design for it was that it would be a, a house of prayer for all nations. But now we've lost the presence. We've lost that, in, that, that sense of encounter. We've lost the sense of awe and reverence that, reverence that when we come to what belongs to Christ, we need to make him the focus of our attention. Friends, this morning, maybe, maybe one of the things that is preventing you from experiencing encounter, this thing of, of Christ coming to dwell with you, is fear. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's a lie that says you cannot or you shouldn't or you won't take the step of faith and trust God in some way. I want to encourage you this morning, just allow the Holy Spirit to bring this revelation to your heart that, that, Christ's, that the picture of Christ coming home is about a return to encounter. That's the most important thing. And all you need to do is close your eyes for a moment and just get back. Just get back to the essence of what this is. Have a look at James 4, 8, 10. This is a, this is a clear promise. It says, draw near to God and he will... Draw near to you. Cleanse your, your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's a change of order. Be miserable. <laughs> Mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. It's like this changing things around. You know, don't, don't make something that was about encounter about something else. Perhaps it's a mindset change that needs to happen. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and this is the promise, He will exalt you. Just humble yourself before Him. Just return to the encounter and watch what God does in that moment. Secondly, the temple cleansing and welcoming Jesus is in this idea of the better temple being found in Christ himself. An indication that you belong to him is that it's about spiritual reality. Spiritual reality. Firstly, it's about a return to encounter and then it's about spiritual reality. Oh, sorry, guys. I, I, I forgot to mention that uh, verse in Ephesians, Ephesians 3. Uh, 16, sorry, it says, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There it is, yeah. Thank you. So it's about a return to encounter. It's about spiritual reality. What do I mean by spiritual reality? What is this 
uh, what has this concept got to do with how Christ rearranges priorities when he's king? How do we explain that? Well, um, growing up when I was younger, I used to love those flea markets on the beachfront in PE. Anyone remember those flea markets? In fact, it's the Splash Festival now, which used to be kind of the, the uh, main weekend for, for all these flea markets, you know? You would, you would go down there with your pocket money, you know, your little, little coins in your pocket, all excited, and you'd sickle for an hour to find parking uh, in this crowded PE beachfront, and you'd walk from one end of, of the beachfront all the way through the stalls, all the way to the other, you know, just getting blown away by all the, the wonderfully fake pieces of clothing that were on display. No, it's true. It's true. It's true. The older you get, the more you begin to realize, hang on a minute, um, why is that crocodile on the Lacoste shirt like missing a few teeth? Like he's, this looks a bit weird, you know? And that tick on the shoes, it's got like a, like an end little down line. It kind of looks like a half mark. Remember half marks in school? You get like a half mark for maths. It's kind of, you're like, why does that, why is that shoe? Shouldn't the tick be going all the way up? But seriously, if you, if you, if you know what the original is like and looks like, it's hard to find something authentic in those kinds of environments. And here's the thing about the spiritual reality of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Are our Christian lives sometimes like a flea market? Lots of busyness, plenty of activity, lots on display that has an appearance of value, but nothing original, just a show. I felt personally deeply convicted by this particular point. And the Lord has been convicting me about this a lot recently. This, this tension between my availability to him versus my working for him. And I've often felt him go, uh, uh, Lloyd, are you, are you just busy with his work or am I seeking him for him? Always going to the word for someone else, you know, always going to the word for a message, but, but are you are you going to the word for you as well? Are you, are you finding the nourishment? <laughs> it's time for you, Lloyd, to get back to encounter. Um, it's time that you realize there's a spiritual reality of me being in your day that you cannot ignore. You need to prioritize correctly, please. <laughs> Stop living a flea market style Christianity. Lots of busyness, but nothing original. But hectic. Palm Sunday, it's joy and palm branches. But this is, the, this is the rubber hitting the road stuff. This is what it's about. It is about spiritual reality, Jesus coming home. Ephesians 4, verse 20 to 24 from the New Living Translation says, but that isn't what you learned about Christ, talking about this incorrect way of thinking. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature. Get rid of the white square toes, man, and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception, these things that shouldn't be there. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature. Don't put on the fake stuff. <laughs> Don't get caught up in that flea market style busyness, but put on your new nature, which is created to be like God. It's truly righteous and holy. There's a sense in that language in which is, it's, it's, it's authentic, right? It's about an authentic encounter with Christ. This is what the message of Power Sunday tells us, friends, that it is, a, it is about a return to spiritual reality. 
Firstly, it's return to encounter. Secondly, it's about a return to spiritual reality. And then thirdly, finally, and I'll close with this last point, the story of the temple cleansing is about heavens rushing into you. That's what it's about. You know, this is, this is ultimately the good news about Christ's return to Jerusalem, isn't it? We know, we know what happens in Passover weekend. It's, it's, it's about the cleansing, the cleansing of the temple and the restoration of God's presence to his people. That's what it's about. And this is what's coming up. We know, we know what's happening. Jesus is, is saying, hey, man, there is a new system here. There's, there's, a, there's a new system of connection with God. Kind of looks different to how it's looked before. It's not going to be the same way. It's not going to take the, take the shape that you might even expect. Um, in fact, our, our father's house, uh, Cape Town, site pastor Israel, um, he, he wrote a blog post on Palm Sunday, and, and he said this, and he, he really just puts it so well. He said, the, the children of Israel, they sought a physical temple for God to dwell in, but Jesus sought to dwell in man. They expected a warrior king like David to liberate them from this, this Roman rule. Instead, they received a suffering servant riding on a donkey. They expected a Messiah to liberate them from the oppression of Rome. Instead, they got a Savior who liberated them from the principalities of darkness that was behind the oppression of man. There was a deeper spiritual meaning there. They expected a war. You know, this king is arriving. They expected a war. Instead, they got a servant who washed their feet and died on a cross. They expected the restoration of the glory of Israel. Instead, they got the restoration of the glory of God to all creation. Now, I often wonder in our lives how often we maybe miss the moment because we didn't, ex we didn't expect God to show up the way that He did. You know, there's heaven rushing towards you moment in something and it kind of looked different to what we'd always been used to, so we, we perhaps overlooked it just because Jesus arrived differently to what we would expect. Friends, Jesus is always moving towards us. Always. That's the message of the cross. And part of our growth step, I guess, this morning is to learn to be humble enough and aware enough to live with a sense of expectation that any moment, any moment can be a divine moment because in every moment, God is in you. We don't have to wait for anything special anymore. Christ has already done it. It is finished. It's done. And the arrival of Him on Palm Sunday means that He's arrived in our hearts too. And every moment, every moment can be a Lord your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven moment. In Romans 8 verse 11 says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal, mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. That's a really powerful verse. We could unpack that for weeks. Maybe we'll do a series on Romans 8 one day. But this morning, friends, my hope is that we'll spend a little bit of time during, during this Holy Week to, to just meditate on, on this, this act, this act of Christ coming in. And of course, the end of the story, this, this king who went to a cross, who took the punishment that we deserve so we would get the freedom that we didn't deserve. And this Holy Week, let's be mindful that you know, of this truth. And, and I suppose the message this morning was designed to help us realize that, that, that Jesus has purchased you all for Himself. He bought you with a price. And He loves you so much that He gave everything to be in a relationship with you. He gave absolutely everything 
to, to, to dwell in you. And he's asking of us this morning just to get back to the proper place of, of, of order and priority in our life. Let's get rid of those things that shouldn't be there. He wants us to return to encounter with him. Not just once a year, twice a year, once a week on a Sunday, but continually. Because he dwells on the inside of us. And not only that, but he wants us to be aware of the spiritual reality that when you wake up tomorrow morning, you have the King of glory that is present on the inside of you. Your workplace can be transformed because of who is in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Let's just live with that expectation, right? The sense of faith that any moment something miraculous can happen because of who he is. And then lastly, we can have absolute confidence that as the scripture said in, in, in Isaiah, that even if we consider ourselves foreigners, meaning outsiders, those who aren't worthy, you shouldn't be accepted in. When you join yourself to the Lord, He is already rushing in to meet you, to make His dwelling place with you. You are welcome. You are welcome to bring your worship to Him. Can you say amen to that this morning, church? Would you mind standing with me as we close in a word of prayer? And I'm going to invite the band up just to perhaps end with that last song of worship as well. Um, But I did just want to um, create a moment quickly for us to, as we just, I suppose, reflect on this, on this word, um, just invite God in, in a new way. And I know that, you know, there's many of us that have been around church and been in church for, for quite some time. And maybe this is just a refreshment, I guess you could call it, a spiritual refreshment. Just to say, Lord, uh, you know, is there, are there some items of clothing in my closet that I've let just stay there that don't actually suit me was so, so well anymore you know maybe there's a pair of rugby shorts or those white square toes that have you know they don't they don't suit you translated maybe there's an attitude of the heart maybe there's um, an emotion maybe there's a guilt thing maybe there's a I don't know what it is but maybe it's just the sense of returning to that place and going God okay I want this to be about you I want worship to be about you I want to encounter you I want to live with the spiritual reality that you are in me and I thank you that heaven is rushing toward me. So what, what is it that you want me to throw off this morning? Maybe it's that. Uh, and let's just take a moment as we sing this song and just channel our thoughts, I guess, on that truth that mountains are still being moved. You are not excluded from the work of the Spirit. Amen.